Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Island Crimes and Mysteries with Newell's. Hey guys, welcome to Ireland Crimes and Mysteries, the podcast channel that takes you on a journey through the dark and mysterious side of Ireland's history. From infamous crimes to unsolved mysteries, we explore the stories that have captivated and intrigued people to this very day. Join us as we uncover the stories behind these cases. Whether you're a true crime enthusiast or a lover of all things mysterious, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, and let's explore the dark side of Ireland together. This podcast has been compiled from information gathered in the public sphere, like news articles and documentaries. Everything in this podcast is alleged unless a conviction has taken place. The summer of 1976 was a particularly hot summer in Ireland, with temperatures reaching 30 degrees at times. But behind all the summer fun and crowded beaches, two heinous crimes had unfolded in two separate parts of the country that would shock the country to its very core for decades. Elizabeth Plunkett had been enjoying a night out at McDaniel's pub in British Bay with her boyfriend and some other friends. As the night wore on, Elizabeth had an argument with her boyfriend and left the pub. She left in the direction of the caravan site they had been staying at, with the intention of hitching a lift home to Dublin and disappeared into the night. Elizabeth was 23 years old when she went missing. She was working as a foreign exchange clerk for a printing firm called Delarue in Dublin and she was living in Ringsend. She was one of eight siblings, three sisters and four brothers. She loved the outdoors and loved to camp, so this camping breakaway with friends was nothing unusual. At the time of her disappearance, she had been with her boyfriend Damien, a mechanic, for five months. They had met through his sister, whom Elizabeth had worked with. On the weekend Elizabeth disappeared, some caravans at the site in British Bay had been broken into. The guardie wondered had Elizabeth been taken by whoever had committed these crimes. Backed up by detectives in Dublin, the guardie commenced a full-scale search of the area where Elizabeth had been reported missing. Little did they know what was about to unfold over time. To understand what happened to Elizabeth, we first have to talk about two Englishmen, the first named John Shaw and the other named Geoffrey Evans. John Shaw, 31, and Geoffrey Evans, 32, were career criminals who met in an English prison. While in prison, they became friends and plotted to abduct, torture, sexually assault and kill women. 
On their release from prison and with more potential convictions hanging over them, they decided to travel to Ireland in 1974, where they would commence their reign of terror and start making their fantasy a reality, which was to track down one woman a week. Both men were from Manchester. Shaw had long hair and a beard. He worked as a miner, but he had been in trouble with the law since he was 14 for burglary. He also had a conviction for the attempted sexual assault of a boy and a girl and had one failed marriage under his belt and two children. Evans, a fair-haired man, had also been married and had three children from that marriage. He also had several convictions for burglary. They were both suspected of committing sexual assaults, including one on a 16-year-old girl who was the daughter of a police officer. They had not been charged with any of these crimes at the time they came to Ireland, despite being prime suspects. When released from prison in England in 1974, where they had met, they travelled to Ireland by boat under fake names in an attempt to avoid any new charges arising from the brutal sexual assaults of these girls. They committed several burglaries in order to make ends meet, starting in County Wicklow, moving on down the east coast of Ireland until they reached Cork. They were arrested in early 1975 and convicted at Cork Central Court of 16 counts of burglary. They were both sentenced separately to two years in prison. They were then transferred from Cork to Mountjoy. While they were in Mountjoy prison, the British authorities were made aware that they were in prison in Ireland and an extradition process was commenced. Relations between Ireland and England were very strained back in the 1970s and the Irish were not keen to be extraditing prisoners to England. The British police sent over fingerprints collected from the scenes of the sexual assaults to be cross-referenced against Evans and Shaw. After appearing at the Bridewell in Dublin in early August 1976, both Shaw and Evans were released on a £40 bond and were given a month to prepare a case defending their extradition. Having served only 18 months out of their two-year sentence, astonishingly, they were both released while the extradition process was still ongoing for such a serious crime. On his release from Mountjoy Prison on the 5th of August 1976, Shaw made his way to Feathert in County Tipperary to the house of a man named Cliff Outram, whom he had befriended while in prison. He had invited them to stay there on their release. Evans followed him down on his release a few weeks later. They asked Outram if they could borrow a neighbour's car, an Austin A40, which he had access to for a few days, and he duly obliged and got them the car. They now had the means to travel the country and start executing the pact they had made. On the 28th of August 1976, Shaw and Evans drove up to Euston Station in Dublin to collect some suitcases that Evans had stored in some lockers at the station. From here, after grabbing some food, they headed to Arklow, where they had a few drinks before heading out to British Bay in County Wicklow. Here they proceeded to burgle several caravans in the caravan sites around Britis. Afterwards, they decided to go to MacDaniel's pub for a few pints and watch out for some potential victims. This is where they spotted Elizabeth leaving the pub on her own. Upset, having argued with her boyfriend in the pub, Elizabeth, who was wearing wedge sandals, white pants and a navy jumper with Saint-Tropez written on it, 
as well as a Seiko watch that was a 21st birthday present, had decided she was going to grab a lift off someone back home to Dublin. It was now around 11pm that fateful night. After seeing her leave the pub, Shaw and Evans decided to follow her. As she walked up the road, the rain was coming down. Shaw and Evans had got back into their car and drove up in the direction of Elizabeth. They proceeded to pass her by and drove up the road out of sight and Shaw got out of the car. Then Evans turned the car and drove back towards Elizabeth. He stopped up beside her and rolled down the window and offered her a lift. Elizabeth was hesitant at first, but because the night was so bad, she made the fateful decision to get into the car. Hitchhiking in Ireland in the 1970s was commonplace, and despite the reservations, it would not have been unusual for someone like Elizabeth to take a lift offered by a stranger. Evans, having told Elizabeth he would bring her to Dublin, collected Shaw on his way back up the road, and he jumped into the back seat of the car. Elizabeth was starting to get increasingly uncomfortable after Shaw had gotten into the back seat. He then started asking her questions, which made the atmosphere in the car even more tense. She had explained to them that she had had a row with her boyfriend and wanted to go home to Dublin. Knowing they had Elizabeth where they wanted her and that she was cut off from the outside world in a moving car, the men made their move. Shaw pounced on Elizabeth from the back seat and she began screaming. He then proceeded to shove tissue paper into her mouth in an attempt to shut her up. Elizabeth was now in the clutches of pure evil and her fate was decided as soon as she had entered that car. Meanwhile, back at McDaniel's pub, her boyfriend Damien had gone outside to check on Elizabeth. He just assumed she had gone outside to calm down after their argument. Little did he know the events that were taking place in the car that was speeding its way out of British Bay. Becoming increasingly worried, he went back and told her friends that he couldn't find her and they started looking for her on foot while Daniel got into his car and drove around looking for Elizabeth. But she was nowhere to be seen. He drove back as far as the caravan park to see if she'd headed back there but again there was no sign of Elizabeth. As this was a time before mobile phones, there was no way of contacting Elizabeth to see if she was okay. Damien made the decision to drive back to Dublin to see if Elizabeth had gone to stay with her sister, but Elizabeth was not there. He then drove back to British Bay as he assumed Elizabeth must still be there, and he had just missed her while he was driving around. After driving around for several hours trying to find Elizabeth and having no luck, Damien made the decision to ring the guardie and report her missing. He also rang Elizabeth's father to make him aware that Elizabeth could not be located. Meanwhile, Evans, Shaw and Elizabeth were en route to Castle Tymon Wood, which was 43 kilometres from British Bay. When they arrived there, they proceeded to drag Elizabeth into a wooded area out of sight from passers-by. Shaw went back and drove the car to the car park of a pub located on the Dublin Road. He returned back to Castle Tymon Wood some four hours later. At this stage, Elizabeth had her hands tied up. Shaw then proceeded to brutally assault and beat Elizabeth and when he was finished Evans continued the brutal assault both taking turns. When the assault was over Shaw went back to get the car at the pub car park on the Dublin Road 
He told Evans to make sure he had Elizabeth killed when he got back. On his return with the car, Elizabeth was still alive, which enraged Shaw, and he proceeded to end Elizabeth's life himself by strangling her with a shirt he took from one of the suitcases. Elizabeth was dead less than 24 hours after her first encounter with Evans and Shaw. They then left her body in the woods and went back to British Bay, where they proceeded to break into more caravans and a shed from which they stole a lawnmower. They returned to the woods where they had left Elizabeth's body and put her into the car. They drove to the shoreline around British Bay where they commandeered a dinghy and began to sail out towards the sea. When they had sailed out to where they thought was sufficiently far enough to dispose of Elizabeth's body, they tied her to the lawnmower with a rope and they threw her overboard like a piece of trash into the cold, dark sea. The next day, they started to get rid of the evidence and started a bonfire at the caravan park and started burning Elizabeth's clothes. While they were burning the clothes, a Garda happened to pass by. He noticed the unusual activity and stopped. He asked them for their names and they gave false names, saying they were both brothers, John and Geoffrey Murphy, and that they were on holidays. Not knowing that Elizabeth was missing at the time, the Garda took their names and the number plate of the car and let Shaw and Evans get on with their day. They stayed another night in British Bay before heading back to Feathert to go to ground for a while. In the meantime, in British Bay, a full-scale search was underway for Elizabeth and door-to-door inquiries as well as interviews were being carried out. A few witnesses had come forward saying they had either seen Elizabeth leaving the pub or seen her accept a lift in the car. Her bra was found thrown in some bushes and her watch found dangling from a tree branch. Her sandal was also found near a sandpit. Her family identified all these items as belonging to Elizabeth. Black boots were then found as the search continued, as well as a label with the name G. Murphy written on it. This was found in some undergrowth. As it became clear that Elizabeth had more than likely been attacked and abducted, the Guardian detectives running the case in British Bay decided to widen the search to nationwide. This was when the Garda who had questioned Sean Evans a few days prior came forward with the information he had gathered from them, including the registration number of the car they were driving. He had recognised the name G. Murphy on the label and put two and two together. Gardy would later interview Outram, who stated that when they returned to Feathert from British Bay on the 2nd of September, they had in their possession a portable television, a hold all, a tent and two blue sleeping bags, and he thinks they may have also had money with them. On this visit, they returned the car. While in Tipperary, Evans and Shaw carried out a spate of burglaries in Mitchellstown, Clonmel, Carrick and Shore and Cork City, in the hope of making enough money to have the means to carry out their next murder. They even stole the number plate of a car in Cork. On September 8th, the two men headed into Clonmel, where they applied for and were granted provisional driving licences at the tax office in Clonmel. They gave false names, Ray Hall and David Bell, but used Outram's address for these driver's licences. Coincidentally, this was the same day they should have been reappearing at the Bridewell, defending their extradition back to England. Shaw and Evans remained in Feathert until the 10th of September. 
They decided to travel to Galway, so Outram drove them to the train station in Limerick Junction, where they jumped on a train and headed out west. On arrival in Galway, they headed to a caravan park, where they bought a caravan for £330 using the fake names they had on their fake driver's licences. They stayed there under the radar for a few days before heading to Clifton and stealing a Ford Cortina and a roof rack. They painted the car black, which turned out to be a very amateur job, and put on the false number plate they had robbed in Cork in an attempt to avoid the Gardaí. They now essentially had their own car, their own money, and their own dwelling. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On the 22nd of September, the two men headed to Castle Bar in the stolen car and parked up outside a house where they remained sitting for a few hours. The owner of the house became uneasy and took down the number plate of the car. Elsewhere in Castle Bar, Mary Duffy, who was 23 years of age, had just finished her shift at 11pm in a local cafe. She lived at home with her family in Belcara, which was a few miles outside Castle Bar. Mary had rang her brother for a lift home after her shift had ended, as either her brother or another member of staff always gave Mary a lift. The odd night Mary would stay with friends in Castle Bar. Mary's family were farmers and instilled a strong worth ethic in their seven children, so Mary was working two jobs. She worked as a shop assistant during the day and in the evening she worked in the local cafe as a cook. Mary was a single girl who enjoyed going out with her friends, a typical girl in her early 20s enjoying her life. Her colleagues at the cafe said that Mary was in a happy mood that evening as she left work and was wearing a red polo neck, a pair of jeans a red duffel coat, as well as boots. She had a brown handbag containing a red little purse that contained her white rosary beads. She also had two gold rings on her. One was a signature ring with her initials MD and the other was a ring with her birthstone on it. She had borrowed a bit of change from a colleague to ring her brother from a public phone box to see if he would give her a lift home. Her brother worked in a local garage, but when she rang, she was told he was out trying to start a car for a customer. They told her he wouldn't be long, so Mary told them to let him know that she would start walking out the road and he could collect her on the way. Mary made the fateful decision to start walking in the direction of her home, which was literally a 20-minute walk. Unfortunately for Mary... Evans and Shaw had been watching Mary make the call from the phone box outside the house they were parked up at. As she started her walk towards her home, Mary did not realise how vulnerable she was and taking the opportunity of seeing a girl walking alone on the road, Shaw and Evans pulled up beside her. Mary, who had been wearing a dental plate, was punched in the face by Shaw, knocking the plate from her mouth where it landed on the roadside before dragging her into the car. This plate would later be identified by the dentist who had taken the cast as being Mary's. Several witnesses would come forward saying they had heard screams around 11.30pm 
which was approximately the time Mary was abducted. Shaw jumped into the back seat after pulling her into the car and the car sped off in the direction of Clifton. The car was seen speeding off by several people who had been woken from their sleep by the screams and had gone out to investigate. Shaw tried to muffle the screams from Mary by putting a cushion over her head where he began to suffocate her. Mary's brother Michael at this stage was driving out the road looking for his sister to pick her up but Mary was in the back seat of the Cortina which was speeding off in the opposite direction. Shaw had tied her hands together and was assaulting Mary in the back seat of the car. The car continued driving until it reached West Connemara near Loch Ina. They had already scoped out this area and decided it was remote enough to be the place they would take their next victim. Unfortunately, Mary would not be immediately reported missing as it was assumed she had gone out in town with friends and went straight to work the following morning. They parked the car at a derelict railway station near Balnahinch and dragged poor Mary from the car and took her into the woods where they pitched a tent. They then took turns assaulting her over and over again. What Mary had to endure there are no words for. After they finished assaulting her they gave her her coat to put on and tied her to a nearby tree where she remained for hours. In the early hours of the following morning, Evans drove back to the caravan site at Barna. He went for a nap and woke up around noon. He collected some food to bring back to the makeshift campsite. He also took one of the concrete blocks that he had found at the caravan park, which was used to prop up the caravans. As he was putting the block into the boot, he accidentally got some of the black paint that they had painted the car with on the block. He went back into the caravan and took a rope and some Valium tablets. He would arrive back to the woodland area where they were holding Mary later that evening. By then Mary was in a bad way. She had sustained a gash to her left temple which was bleeding and had two black eyes and a few teeth missing. She also had other wounds and scratches all over her body. Evans offered Mary a cheese sandwich and a bottle of water but she refused to take it. Shaw decided he wanted to go into Roundstone drinking, so he left Evans in charge of Mary, where the assaults continued into the night. When Shaw returned later that night, the two men discussed what they were going to do with Mary. At around midnight, Evans gave Mary five of the Valium tablets he had brought back from the caravan, telling her as he gave them to her that they were going to take her home. As the tablets began to take effect, Shaw remained with her in the tent they had erected and Evans went back to sit in the car. He later returned with the red cushion cover from the car and put it over Mary's head and with his bare hands he strangled her. He would later say in a statement that Shaw said to him, we will have to do the same as we did in Wicklow. He knew immediately what that meant so the two men proceeded to take Mary's body back to the car and they drove to a boathouse that was located on the shore of Loch Aina. There was eight boats moored further up the shoreline and the men carried Mary's body up to one of the boats. At this point they removed her coat, the only item of clothing Mary was wearing. They took her rings off of her and put her into the boat. Evans and Shaw broke into the boathouse and stole a sledgehammer and a grappling hook. 
They tied the cement block that they had taken from the caravan park around Mary's leg with rope before wrapping more rope around her waistline and attaching the sledgehammer to that in an attempt to weigh her down in the lake. They also attached the grappling hook to her body, which they later described as what they thought was an anchor to keep her submerged. They then proceeded to row as far out into the lock as they could with oars they had stolen from the boathouse. Shaw then pushed Mary overboard and they rowed back to shore. They put the oars back in the boathouse and tried to position the boat in its original position in an attempt to cover up that the boat had been moved in the first place. They then threw Mary's two gold rings into the undergrowth and got rid of their sleeping bags and other clothing items by throwing them over the Weir Bridge near Clifton. After Mary was reported missing to the Gardaí, they had their suspicions that the two cases might be linked, as the description of the two men travelling around together with English accents, one dark-haired and one fair-haired, was the same description as was given in the disappearance of Elizabeth Plunkett. The media continued to report about the two missing women and appealed for any information about these two men. There was a real sense of concern amongst the public. No one was feeling safe. Unbeknownst to Shaw and Evans, a local shopkeeper and petrol pump owner had noticed the crudely painted car and the English accents the evening before they abducted Mary when they stopped to buy £3 worth of petrol at his petrol pump at Mam Cross in Connemara. He was quick enough to write down the number plate and the following day he rang the guardie and gave them the number. This was the car and registration number that the guardie were looking for and they put out a nationwide call to keep an eye out for the car. On Sunday the 26th of September, a Garda on routine patrol duty in Salt Hill noticed a crudely painted black car with the number plate they were looking for parked outside the Ocean Wave Hotel. He called into the Garda station for backup and they waited outside the hotel until Shaw and Evans emerged after an evening of drinking and stalking potential new victims. They were both arrested when they returned to the car and taken into custody. During the initial interrogation, both men confessed to the murders and took Gardy to where they had dumped Mary's belongings. They were then charged with the murders. When they were being transferred to Mountjoy Prison, Shaw allegedly turned to the Garda he was cuffed to and said, It's just as well you caught us, as we were planning on doing one a week. On the evening of Tuesday, September the 28th, a local man out walking on Duncormac Beach in County Wexford made a grim discovery. He spotted a body lying face down near the shoreline. This body would later be confirmed to be that of Elizabeth Plunkett. She had been returned from the sea mercifully. Her funeral would take place in Deansgrange Cemetery in Dublin on October the 2nd. Mary's body did not give itself up as easily. Units of the Garda naval divers and also army divers, including volunteer divers, spent almost two weeks out on Loch Ina searching for Mary. Her body was eventually located in a crevice on the 10th of October by one of the volunteer divers. Her funeral took place on October the 13th in her hometown village of Belcara in County Mayo. The whole country was completely shocked, horrified and aghast by the brutal murders of these two young vibrant women with their whole lives ahead of them. 
Elizabeth enjoying her holiday with her boyfriend and friends, and Mary simply walking home after her evening's work. Both doing regular day-to-day things literally anyone could be doing when their lives were taken from them. In an initial court appearance in Castlebar in October, when the two men were being officially charged, Evans is said to have replied, I have nothing to say, while Shaw allegedly said, I am sorry. Detectives and Gardy compiled their evidence, of which there was ample amounts, which included the confessions from both Shaw and Evans. But justice would not be served until after a few lengthy trials in which the two men battled hard against their charges. Shaw went on trial in July 1977 after pleading not guilty, charged with the murder, rape and false imprisonment of Mary Duffy. It would take two trials before the state won the case. The defence had used the argument that the Gardaí had no warrant to enter the caravan in Barna and stated that the evidence the Gardaí had gathered there was inadmissible in court. They also said they believed the jury may be prejudiced against the men as the Late Late Show had aired segments on the murder prior to the trial. Another argument by the defence was that Evans and Shaw had not been arrested under the Offences Against the State Act 1939 which was the only way at the time he could detain somebody for questioning. This, according to the defence, made Evans' arrest unlawful. They should have been brought in front of a judge prior to being questioned, but this had not happened, making Shaw's statement inadmissible in court, according to the defence. And when the jury went to deliberate, after four hours they returned, stating they had failed to reach a verdict. In the second trial, the judge questioned why the Gardaí had not brought both Evans and Shaw before a judge on the Monday after they had been arrested. It was stated that at the time of their arrest, Gardaí had no evidence that Elizabeth and Mary were dead and there was still the possibility they would be found alive. So the statement Shaw gave when arrested was allowed in the second trial and heard by the jury. Shaw was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison in February 1978. Evans' trial only lasted a month and he was found guilty of all charges for both Mary and Elizabeth and sentenced to life in prison. They were both transferred to Arbor Hill Prison to serve out their sentence. They would both go on to appeal their sentences stating their constitutional rights were violated as they were held in custody for more than 48 hours. Shaw's appeal was turned down in 1979 and again by the Supreme Court in 1980. In 2003, there were rumblings that Shaw could be released. The families of both young women were rightfully outraged and stated they would fight his release. In 2004, it was reported by the Connacht Tribune that an urgent plea was made to the then Taoiseach Bertie Ahern to make sure they both would rot in prison. In December 2008, Evans, who was 68 at the time, underwent a successful heart bypass operation in the Matter Hospital. The following day, he suffered a stroke and never came out of the coma. He remained in hospital under 24-hour security until June 2010, which cost the state annually €900,000. He was then transferred to St. Mary's Hospital in the Phoenix Park, where he remained until he died from sepsis on the 20th of May 2012. Nobody came forward to claim his body, and he was buried in a non-marked grave by the Irish Prison Services. 
Shaw, who is presently 76 years of age, is still in Arbor Hill Prison. He has allegedly never shown any real remorse. He has made several unsuccessful attempts to be paroled on full release since his initial appeals. The parole boards in 2016 did recommend that he should be granted two days outing release a year under prison escort, but this was rejected by the then Minister for Justice. Shaw took the case to the Court of Appeal in January 2020 and the then Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, agreed that he should be permitted two days temporary release a year under escort. But he did not get to sample freedom until May 2022, when he was photographed, flanked by two plainclothes officers walking the streets of Dublin with a grin on his face, where he enjoyed a stroll around the streets of Dublin and a coffee in a street cafe. Everyone in the cafe blissfully unaware that they were in the presence of pure evil. He was back in jail by that evening. It has been said that Shaw, who works recycling computer parts while behind bars, spends most of his day in his cell with his budgie, whom he called Jeffrey, named after his partner in crime, does not associate with the other prisoners. He has only received one family visit in the whole course of his entire sentence. This has been one of the hardest cases to cover, as it is particularly brutal and savage. I can only imagine the terror and outrage in the country at the time these two men were on the loose. No woman must have felt safe. Ireland's towns and villages in the 1970s were relatively small and close-knit communities, and violent crimes like this were relatively rare. The murder of Mary and Elizabeth would have been seen as a particularly heinous and senseless act, which I'm sure sparked a very strong emotional reaction from the public, having a profound impact on the country as a whole. Thankfully, justice was in the end served for Mary and Elizabeth and their families. But this, I'm sure, was a small consolation to them when the full brutality of what actually happened to them came to light in court. It is a tragic reminder to us all, even to this day, to be always aware of our surroundings and look out for each other as much as we can. So guys, thanks for joining me on Ireland Crimes and Mysteries today. I hope you enjoyed exploring the darker side of Ireland with me. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or would like to share your thoughts on the cases we've covered, please feel free to leave a comment. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel to stay up to date for all my latest episodes. Until our next investigation, keep your eyes open and your mind curious. You've been listening to Island Crimes and Mysteries with Nules. Join us for another episode coming real soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.